This morning we continue our series for the season of Epiphany, uh, Let It Shine, where we are exploring how Jesus shines the light of God and how we as disciples are called to shine that light. In our gospel reading today, Jesus begins a long sermon to his newly established disciples, but also to a surrounding crowd of people coming from all over, uh, including the Gentile territories of Tyre and Sidon. The sermon as a whole, we're only going to work on the beginning part of the sermon, but the, the whole sermon has one focus, what life looks like in the kingdom of God and how to live into this kingdom, not someday, but here and now, today. I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the sixth chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the 17th verse. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Friends, my years in East Tennessee in the foothills of the Smokies and now in the beautiful Piedmont in Virginia have sort of acclimated me to life in the mountains. I'm no longer terrified when zigzagging down the mountain or uh, driving on windy country roads many times with steep cliffs on the other side of the road. But deep down, I'll always be a boy from Michigan where I like to joke that the straight and almost grid-like roads, they're only turned when they're about to run into a body of water or Canada. (laughs) I'm used to the flatlands, where you can see out for miles across fields and farmlands. Sometimes you can even see the next town over from your own. But as peaceful and wonderful as the mountains are, the flat, level land will always have a calming effect on me. In our reading today, Luke tells us that Jesus comes down from the mountain where he had just chosen his 12 disciples and addressed them and the crowd from a level place. In other words, he went from the mountains to the plains. He went down to the flatlands. Matthew's gospel is well known for Jesus' sermon on the mount, but scholars call Luke's version of a very similar speech the sermon on the plain. Because Jesus comes down from the mountain to address the people on level ground. 
While the height of the mountain helped project sound, but also it project importance, Luke's picture of Jesus sought to speak to the people on their level. It's actually the only time this word is used in the entire New Testament, level ground. Now, friends, while I love hiding up here behind this big elevated pulpit on the elevated chancel, Jesus' action here and his point of speaking on level ground with the crowd makes me think that the sermon might be better delivered from a level place, uh, on the same ground as, as the congregation. Now, this, this action and this closeness of Christ depicted here reminds me of something that the theologian John Calvin did back when forming the Christian community in Geneva in Switzerland back in the 16th century. Now, he and everyone there were coming out of the Catholic tradition where uh, Mass was celebrated with the altar up on high and the priest or celebrant being the only person that could go up there to, to, uh, to perform the Mass, to celebrate the sacrament. One day, in very dramatic, John Calvin-like fashion, he took the altar up from the elevated place and put it down here on level ground with the congregation, saying, this isn't an altar at all, it's a table. This is a place where we share a meal, just like the tables in your homes. And this is a table on level ground because this is where Christ meets us. This is where Christ feeds us. It's a close, immediate, personal image of Christ depicted here. And this is, in very similar fashion, what I think Jesus does when he comes down from the mountain. He comes down from the elevated place to address the people from the same level. This is a picture of an accessible Jesus. A Jesus that seeks to be in relationship, but also one that deeply wants us to understand his message. Some scholars take this another step further and say that instead of translating the verse that he addressed them from a level or plain place, it's actually better understood he addressed them plainly. He addressed them simply, without fluff or nuance or subtlety. Today, we might say that Jesus decided to shoot it straight with his followers. When we listen to Jesus' sermon that follows, it seems that this is exactly what he does. He begins his leveled speech with Luke's version of the Beatitudes. Now, instead of the nine blessings that make up Matthew's version of the Beatitudes, Luke's is a condensed four. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, those who weep, and those who are persecuted for their faith in him. Now, our 21st century minds need to pump the brakes here for just a second. When we hear the word blessed today, we have the tendency of equating it with a sort of divine gift of God that is somehow deserved or earned, but also at the same time something that is desired or envied by others. We see this a lot in social media when you see hashtag blessed. But this isn't quite the understanding of blessed that Luke and the people of Jesus' day had. Because none of these beatitudes, when you think about it, would be things that anyone would want. Nobody wants to be poor, hungry, weeping, persecuted. None of these things would implore someone to post hashtag blessed either. Blessed, makarios in Greek, is another way of saying satisfied or fulfilled. Here, Jesus shows special care for the poor, the marginalized, the hungry. He calls them blessed when no one else will. And he calls his disciples, those who follow him, to do the same. Now, this is an important 
uh, piece from this text, I think. But I think there's more to this. And it becomes clear as we continue on with what Jesus says next. Unlike Matthew, Luke's Sermon on the Plain has Jesus follow the Beatitudes, the blessings, with a series of woes. There are four of them. Each of them are connected to the corresponding blessing or beatitude before. Woe to those who are rich. Woe to those who are full. Woe to those who laugh. And woe to those for whom everyone speaks well. Here at this last one, Jesus gives a shout out to some of the false prophets in Jeremiah's time. Those who spoke only what they thought people wanted to hear. They endlessly sought the approval and affirmation of the community instead of speaking God's word. In true prophetic fashion, I think Jesus here has us all shaking in our boots. I mean, who doesn't want to be full? Who doesn't want to have enough money and resources? Who doesn't want to be well-liked? We tend to think of these as Jesus condemning each of these groups of the woes, but really this isn't so. As we continue in Luke's gospel, we'll see Jesus befriend plenty of rich, full, and laughing people. That little word woe is uh, ue in Greek, and it's an interjection. It was a way of saying like today, hey, or look, or uh, going back a little further in history, alas. Rather than a condemnation, this word is more commonly understood as a warning. As in, hey, you who are rich, watch out. So what's this warning all about? Let's dig into that a little bit. When we take the blessings and the woes together, the message of Jesus becomes clear to me. Luke's Jesus, as we know, is about the business of turning the world as we know it upside down and flipping it inside out. This has been clear since the very first chapter of Luke when Jesus' mother Mary sings her beautiful Magnificat proclaiming that her son will lift up the lowly and cast down the mighty. Jesus begins his sermon on a level place with these blessings and woes to make a bigger point here. The things in this world that we think will satisfy us, wealth, food, approval from others, etc., these things will never fully satisfy us. In fact, they'll always keep us wanting more. To me, Jesus isn't saying that any of these things are bad in and of themselves. But what he does say is that each of these things and our endless striving towards them has the power to make us think that we have no need of God. In other words, if we trust these earthly things to provide our blessing, our fullness, our satisfaction and peace, then we'll always come up short and wanting more. This is the warning. In a film a few years back entitled Up in the Air, the main character is played by George Clooney. He works long hours uh, traveling and flying constantly. He's on this endless pursuit to rack up enough frequent flyer miles to reach the platinum premiere status. There's a great scene in the beginning of the film when he's talking to his sister while walking through an airport terminal. Uh, She shares that she's worried about him because it seems like he's all alone. He responds from the busy terminal with people all around saying, how on earth can I be lonely? I'm constantly surrounded by people. The sister, it seems, is on to something, though. The film continues to reveal just how lonely, just how empty, just how hungry the successful man's life is, how hungry he is for connection, for satisfaction, and how he's falling short. 
when he reaches the, the platinum premier airline mile status, he doesn't find satisfaction there, but hunger, misery. By the end of the film, he discovers how the things he thought provided him comfort actually left him empty. And it continues on as he rediscovers himself and what connection truly means in his life. Friends, from a level place, Jesus connects with his new disciples and the gathered crowd by addressing the riches that actually feel like poverty, the fullness that can feel like hunger, the laughter that can feel like weeping, the acceptance that feels like rejection. The things this world tells us will make us happy and secure and satisfy us never will. They'll always keep us wanting more. It's a sentiment that I think is, is summed up so well by uh, a famous financial personality named Dave Ramsey as he says, we tend to buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. It's that striving of wanting more, of not having enough. But what we see here is Jesus also invites the disciples and the crowd on a different path into an upside-down way, a kingdom way of living. A way that instead of seeking security and happiness through stuff, instead seeks to live into what one of our confessions in the Presbyterian Church states, that our only comfort in life and in death is that we belong not to ourselves, but to God, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a way that seeks to be fed and nourished and satisfied by our connection with God and one another through Christ alone. Rather than a self-serving way of the, of the world, Jesus invites us into the self-giving way of the kingdom that seeks out the poor, the hungry, and marginalized, not only seeks them out, but calls them blessed. In a world that always pushes us to want more and to want better, Jesus comes along and flips our preconceptions upside down and twists them inside out. His plainly spoken sermon frees us from the endless feeling that we're inadequate, that what we have isn't enough. We aren't truly fed or nourished or satisfied by wealth or approval or any other worldly thing. We are fed solely by God's grace for us in Christ. When are we blessed? Despite what the social media hashtags would have us believe, we aren't blessed by stuff or approval or any other worldly metric that will always keep us hungry for more. Jesus says that we're blessed, that we're fully satisfied when we become fully reliant on the grace and love of God. When, like George Clooney's character, we can stop caring about the striving for more and seeking the approval of others and instead discover that which truly fills us and that which connects us closer with one another and with God. Jesus on level ground shines the light of God, and he shines it by sharing an upside-down kingdom way of living that warns us from putting our hope in wealth or acceptance or stuff and instead calls us into the life-giving way of Christ. Friends, may we shine the light of Christ by seeking to live into these beatitudes together. Seeking out the lost, the broken, the poor, the hungry, and finding our comfort, our security through Christ alone, who we know will continue to feed, his, feed us all by his love.
may it be so. Amen.